Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your host, Father Shane Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Travis Crotty. And I'm Father Shane Demon. And yet again, because we're recording a bunch of podcasts at the same time, we're sitting at a desk in Sioux City, Iowa, and it's going to be... We're actually coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City, as the intro music says. Yes, we are true to our word and don't have to deal with weird video stuff Mm -hmm. right now. It's good to see you in person. It's good to see you, Father Shane. You know how... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, keep going. We have such a lack of like 80s ballads in our podcast yeah, and i'm not at like i don't just that. like listen to 80s music i don't know why it just flies it takes into up my a lot head. of space in your head though it does not, well it must it subconsciously must, it must. it's hanging out there subconsciously it's hanging out you know how it's kind of the joke that like old ladies like pray the rosary so much they like, wear out the beads uh-huh I, the question is are we actually wearing out this equipment because our headphones everybody who's used corded headphones knows this experience when there starts to be weird little short from the cord being like bent a few different times mm-hmm. my uh my little cord that connects my phone to my car is also having the same issue. Oh. And when a guy gets comfortable with Apple CarPlay for a while where you just plug it in and it pulls up the screen, does your mm-hmm. does your Kia do that? Yeah, now? it it's does. kind of nice, yeah. I didn't, it, the cord broke. So I'm driving from Des Moines the other day back to Sioux City. Who would you talk to, Father? Well, well I was still able to use my phone, don't worry. Oh, okay. You know what, don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> you weren't isolated and alone, huh? No way, I could still talk to people and listen to oh, a podcast. Okay, I mean, come on. Good. I just had to do it in a different Good for you. You know, awkward Bluetooth situation. Not Way really. to be resourceful. So it's good. It's good that we're kind of wearing out this, uh, this equipment a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but yes, Mike, a little bit more equipment. We'll see. Had a generous donation from somebody, which might expand our yeah our podcast. You know, kind of uh, ability to have more folks on and yeah. different things like that, which would be nice. Yeah. Um, there was something I was going to say. Good segue, just sitting there dangling in no, your head. No, it's gone. 80s nope. music. Sometimes something. the segues come right back, but it takes like five seconds. Okay. Um, anyways, you're, you're here for a little bit, back in yes. Sioux City for a, for a couple weeks. We've got a few things coming up. We've got, um, oh, what, what? I'm just curious, like how many years we've done Quo Vadis now, our, our discernment retreat. We started Quo Vadis in 2017. 2017. Yes. Okay. Because that's when we announced... The first quest pilgrimage, which went to Rome and southern France in 2018. Don't, don't say that on public you know, news media like this, because then kids will think that I'm going to take a Rome pilgrimage sooner than later. Oh, they still ask. Oh, well, yeah, they, I know. It's really it's really. They called me out on you know, it last there's year. There's a little difference between a guy who spent eight years of his life living in Rome and then a guy who's been there one time on a pilgrimage. Sure. So there was a little intimidating last year when we were we did the quest trip to North Carolina. We were hiking there you know, yeah. this 13 months ago. And some guys were saying, so when are you going to go back to Rome? And I said, well, you know, we did Rome in 2018 and, you know, just for fundraising and, you know, not to wear it out and all of that, we just thought, well, maybe we go every five years. And they said, well, yeah, next year's 2023. It's five years, Father. Get going. I was like, oh. And then you're like, well, oh, sorry. shoot, I have to go to St. Louis and <laughs> I'm meet moving. the Vice Director Kenrick. So, yeah. Father Crotty, why didn't you do that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can resurrect that at some point. I not feel like. today. Yeah. Yeah, maybe someday we'll see what happens. But we are keeping um, keeping it going with Quovadis coming up. We are Quovadis is coming August fourth, fifth, and sixth in the Diocese of Sioux City. This will come out probably afterwards, but it doesn't really matter. That's all right. Um, it's kind of cool that it starts on the feast day of Saint Giovanni. Yeah, it's a relic on the table back there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And this year, it falls on our bishop's 50th anniversary of priestly ordination. Yeah, his golden jubilee. Nicholas, which is a big deal. Yeah. So we're going to actually have it here in Sioux City and celebrate the gift of the priesthood and experience the celebration of bishop's anniversary. Yes, and for anyone who doesn't know what a Quo Vadis retreat is. Ah, yes, of course. Quo Vadis, the Latin phrase. <laughs> Go ahead, Father. Where are you going? Where are you, you going? If you ever heard Sarah Spofford give a talk, yeah. uh, she says this all the time and has cool sweatshirts that say mm-hmm. Quo Vadis on, right? Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of Rome, right, outside of Rome, there's mm-hmm. a church called Quo Vadis, which we didn't go to, unfortunately. Father no. Zach Jones was acting the other day like I'd been there, and I said... Oh. It was it was on our itinerary, ah. and we had just been going hard for so long. Like, we had done 10 straight days of just, like, intense sightseeing. Oh, yeah. And we did a lot of churches in Rome, and it's it's hard to get to the Quo Vadis Church. you got to hop on several different buses and get uh-huh. outside the city. Um, and I, I just was sensing from the group that... We just didn't need after that. After torrential downpour in Turin, after, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know, jazz clubs to buy the Tiber, you, know, yeah. you never know what's going to happen with, you know, certain seminarians. Yeah. Right. That's true. Um, just lastly, and then we'll just move on. So, Quavadis, it's, uh, the story is that St. Peter, in his right before his martyrdom around that time, right, uh, out of kind of fear of the impending persecution of mm-hmm. the early fledgling church, was sort of fleeing Rome, right, mm-hmm. to this church outside of Rome where this kind of experience of prayer this vision happened where he encounters this, this vision of the lord of jesus walking past him into the city back into the city as it as it were mm-hmm. <laughs> so then the question is where are you going mm-hmm. and jesus says i'm going back to be crucified again because like you're 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 leaving mm-hmm. right so peter receives from that vision this new courage to go back and ultimately be martyred as the, the shepherd of the people, of, shepherd rome. Of, the people of rome yeah. and the first holy father the first pope um, the way you were describing that pilgrimage, I was telling somebody recently, uh, I'll, I've talked before and I'll talk again about the movement, community liberation that I've been following, but there's a lot of uh, Milanese people in it, you know, folks from Milan, Father mm-hmm. Gisani is from the Milan. Milanese. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. So um, I've often, when I've met them, you know, just like hyped up Milan because I've been there before. Yeah, um, for like the 36 hours you were there. Oh, yeah, we were there tw- <laughs> yeah exactly. But it was like, there's a first, that was the first stop. That's sure. where we popped up. And yeah, I was yeah. talking about, like my first experience of ordering, you know, un café per favore, uh-huh. like with the little, you know, little espresso was in Milan with Father Jones in the morning when we popped out of the, and like my first experience of a massive church, like, you know, we walked yeah, in the Duomo, the, the Duomo in Milan, in Milan yeah. and you're like pretty amazing, huh? And I was like, oh, yeah, wow. your jaw dropped. But one of my favorite things was that Piazza outside the Duomo in Milan. I was talking to these folks who were from Milan about this, how as we're walking by jet lagged and I'm just like super like, you know, we got guys trying to sell us stuff and that you're yelling i know where you're going i know where you're going with this i i caught just like my eyes catch just this little like this a guy like legs crossed like with a paper with his cappuccino at like a table and a little cafe in the piazza and you just like see me just kind of like lingering there and looking at it and you just go travis there's two ways to come here you go you go one is where in 12 days we're gonna see everything we could possibly see and go hard Uh (laughs) you go the other one is you spend most of the day sitting at that table and i was like Okay, you go, you go. You go. We're not going to do that. Yes, this is not a vacation. Keep, keep moving. This yeah. is a pilgrimage. Yeah, I was like, I was like, okay. So yes, yeah, unfortunately, someday I need the to troops must march on. I need to go back to experience. Yeah, yeah. Just the cappuccino at the little table in the piazza. <laughs> so, Father Shane, yes. While you've been um, on retreat and doing various things back at the seminary this summer, um, I have been getting to know a few new folks. We have a new campus minister in town. I have mm-hmm. some new 
people I've met around. So I was at this kind of little housewarming party situation for somebody, and there's okay. this little crew of new people, right? All right. Um, and if he's listening, you know who you are. We had interaction. You said new podcast listener out of the evening. But we're sitting around chatting, and it's kind of like the question of, okay, there's a few Catholics there. There's a, there's a few kids who grew up kind of you know, mainline Protestant churches, Methodist, mm-hmm. Lutheran. This couple's kind of talking about, well, they're getting married and like, you know, one's from, one's kind of was Presbyterian and one was Methodist, so they're going to settle on Lutheranism. And I was saying, well, make sure it's Missouri Synod and like, okay. whatever. We're just talking about this whole thing. So then we're talking to this fun guy and he's just kind of like, yeah, yeah, I'm, you know, I was kind of grew up Methodist. No, this is the guy. He's uh-huh. talking about his, his, his fiance and they're getting married. So we're okay. talking about stuff. And the, the kind of question of, salvation kind of emerges from talking about comparing these different Protestant religions. Cause when he's like, well, yeah, basically like it doesn't really matter as long as, you know, as long as we're going to church, mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter. And I was like, well, all right. Like, what do you, what do you mean by that? And we were talking about a few different, I won't call anybody out here cause it's a little nuanced, but we were talking about a few different particular like churches that have a tendency toward uh, maybe a universalism, mm-hmm. just kind of and ex- just kind of a broad acceptance that it's like, no, like everybody's good. You don't really need Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I had a conversation with a particular pastor around the Midwest about the struggles of his particular Protestant church that was kind of tending that direction mm-hmm. of a, a big question, and they're kind of like some of their um, documents coming out of their congregation or whatever, kind of leaning toward like is Christ really necessary for salvation? Mm -hmm. So I was kind of like, well, yeah, you want to be careful this one because this and this. And he just kind of, hmm. And then the conversation goes that that's basically what he's holding Mm. is a universalism. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just kind of a, well, yeah, no. Like I'm Christian, believe in God, Jesus, he died for our sins and now we're good. Good. Mm -hmm. So the idea of the idea of the Catholic church, the idea of churches that would have, um, a certain level of commitment that's expected, right? Or a certain level of sacramental life that kind of corresponds to a life of grace that we're actually, you know, tapping into the gift that God's giving, right? There's a participation in the, in that life of grace. That seemed kind of far. It was just like, I want to come to a church where there's a good sermon that challenges me, that invites me to, to live a, live a good life that might offer me some advice. Um, and then that is kind of comfortable. Mm-hmm. And it has nice music that I like. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, great. But it was interesting because we kind of, we didn't get really, we're kind of wrapping up the evening and didn't have the space to kind of continue this conversation. But just sort of this resolution in his mind that, yeah, a universalism sounds pretty nice. Mm-hmm. That, sure, God loves us. And, and then kind of even more nuanced soteriology here of salvation. It was like, well, yeah, Jesus died for us. And it was like, but even if he didn't, it's just like God loves us and then it's okay. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking about that. And I didn't get the chance to respond, and he might actually be listening to the podcast. But I thought to myself right away, I was like, huh, how would I respond to this? And then I thought two things. One, Father Shane might have some really good thoughts on this. Two, I think a lot of people find themselves in this, right? Mm -hmm. So we talk a lot about, we experience a lot in the Catholic circle of just kind of disaffiliated former Catholics who might not have had that robust of a catechesis, either in their school or in their family or in their experience of faith formation to parish, or maybe they did. And, but they've just kind of, you know, shucked it off. Mm-hmm. Like, doesn't, doesn't really care. But then it's interesting to see this sort of just like, um, what do I want to say? When a lot of the, like, um, the American experience of Christianity, predominantly Protestant, but Catholic, this is the sort of like what kind of 
when it kind of comes together, what do we kind of have? This just sort of homogenous sort of like what's like American kind of Christianity look like? I'm like, oh, I think a lot of people might be in this kind of interesting spot of just like, oh, yeah, kind of universalism. Mm-hmm. And it might sound like if we push against that, that it's it's acting as if, well, no, God loves everybody. Why wouldn't he just, you know, save us? Mm-hmm. Why would he just save us, right? Mm-hmm. We have a much deeper and richer understanding of how God created us, what his plan is for us, and how he saves us and invites us to experience his salvation. He's like one for us. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd like this to maybe be like a little response to that and maybe an unpacking of what the church thinks of in the next, you know, <laughs> eight minutes or whatever. Sure. Um, yeah, what the church actually does understand and propose for us to live as sure. Christians. Well, first of all, I don't know if this man that you were speaking to with his Methodist background is a listener, and if he's listening into this episode, if he is, well, praise God for the faith that he does have, and praise God for the courage that he had just even to engage you as a Catholic priest. I don't know if that was intimidating for him to speak about his own faith. I'm not quite sure. But if really, what was really funny is how the conversation sparked up. Everybody was kind of talking about what their jobs are and what they do, and he looked at me and he said, well, what do you do, Father? <laughs> as a joke. Okay. And then my response is like, Anything but what you'd expect. <laughs> I was like, so I live at a church, but I'm not actually a parish priest, and I named off all my various jobs and roles throughout the diocese. And uh-huh. he's like, oh, I was kind of joking. So sure. it was a good little opening. But sure. Yeah, so just praise God for the faith that he does have, and uh, and we hope that the grace of God continues just to draw him closer, and he's responsive to that. Um, I've got about three or four points just racing through my head as you were kind of just ra- you know <laughs> laying all this out. <laughs> awesome. But first of all, um, well, even if Jesus didn't die, this comment that he said, even if Jesus didn't die for our sins, well, it doesn't really matter because God would have still loved us. I mean, Thomas Aquinas addresses this very clearly, as do many other theologians. You know, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son so that we might not remain in this permanent state of sin and death, right? There's a, there's a, there's a necessity of fittingness to come to our redemption because of the overflowing love that the Father has in wanting his children to be welcoming or welcoming his children into eternal life, Right. And then if you look into, what is it, Romans 3, um, that the, you know, the justice of God is, is so fulfilling and so robust that it, it is not fitting of the Lord to just simply turn a blind eye towards all the injustices done towards him in sin, and that the penalty for sin and death had to be paid in a perfect way. And of course, he did that through the divinity and humanity of, of the second person of the Trinity incarnate on earth. So... But that's like a whole theological discussion elsewhere. Um, but in terms of like this universalism claim that, that you pointed out, that, well, like Jesus paid the penalty for all of us. Well, as you pointed out, like, well, no, there actually is a level of discipleship that we're actually called to. Does Jesus not say on several occasions, take up your cross and follow me? Does he not say, if you do not hate brother, mother, sister, you know, family members who would stand in the way, not actually promoting hate, but in a, in, a, in a sense of hyperbole to say, is your foundation rooted in me? Uh, or are there relationships, priorities, attachments, or even idols in this world that would keep you from abandoning yourself into a wholehearted commitment of following me? The universalism claim is, is widespread, and there's lots of people who hold that. I'm sure there's even Catholics who hold that. Because it's easy to say, well, Jesus died for us, but that doesn't actually impinge me at all. That doesn't actually put any pressure on me. It doesn't call me to anything. Well, 
to step back and say, okay, well, he died in excruciating, painful death, being treated in capital punishment like a criminal, and being perfectly innocent as the Son of God. If he had to go through all of that, does that necessarily respond and equate to you having a comfortable life with absolutely no burden put on your shoulders? That doesn't make any sense. You know, um, just to go uh, freely, wheelie and just freewheeling throughout life in this willy-nilly state of saying, my life gets to be perfectly comfortable because his was not. What relationship is is rooted in that? You know, what what relationship mirrors that in life, that it gets to be that unbalanced and one-sided? Huh, yeah. That's not love. Yeah. This whole thing, no, that's really helpful. Those three points that kind of, Father Shane, that you just you know, impressively pulled out of your brain. Not unlike an 80s, you know, ballad that's just kind of floating around in your head that we experience. I have no 80s ballads right now. <laughs> you know, go. Let's go. Just that first one that you point out that, like, especially coming out of the, you know, um, like, Thomistic theology and these different theologians who really spent the time to unpack this stuff, mm-hmm. that there is a, a, a fittingness of how God did everything. Mm-hmm. Aquinas points this out all the time, like you mentioned, like, no, I, there, he could have done things differently, right? That, uh, if it's not unreasonable, God could have done things in in innumerable ways, right? Mm-hmm. But it's happened in a certain way. So then our unpacking that should not be to just look at it with sort of like suspicion, but to say, why is this the most fitting, mm-hmm. right? And that's what this, that's what a lot of like medieval theologians have done. But then I think number two is, is huge, and I think that's so important that you pointed out, because what was coming up for me is always this question of like, God creates us for a relationship of love. A relationship of love always has to have the capacity of honoring the other's freedom. Mm-hmm. Right? We talk about this all the time. Like, the, Why is there this capacity for us to turn away from God? Why aren't we just pre-programmed to love him? It's, well, that's not love, right? Because there's this mutual sacrificial you know, giving of the other, free, mm-hmm. full, faithful, fruitful, right? There's a, it's a real gift of self, like JP2 unpacks in Theology of the Body. But if that's relationship, then I, this whole idea of justice— it's interesting because today we either have like we have two spectrums of like just a lot of tolerance for pretty much everybody. Like nobody can tell anybody else what to do, right, or how to act or how to live. We see this unless it's like this three things, you know, that just culturally like, but it can't be racism, but it can't be this, but it can't be this. But everything else, you can't like, you know, everybody's totally autonomous except for these three things, mm-hmm. you know. So it's interesting. We just have such an un- a lack of understanding of justice. Mm-hmm. So then that's how we treat God. It's just sort of like, no, 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 no. You have to be completely tolerant because to love somebody means to be totally tolerant and let them do whatever they want. And then in the end, still love them anyways, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the idea. It's like God's just like the totally like forgiving, perfect, tolerant, you know, parent or something. But then you look at how children actually raised, that doesn't work, mm-hmm. right? It's just like if you just let your child do whatever they want, and then every single time it's just this reckless abandon of just saying, no, like, it's totally fine. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, you just call it on the walls, but that's okay. Right. That's just, come on. You know, it's like, no, they're going to keep calling on the walls. Like, they're going to keep hurting themselves, like, by, like, whatever, just eating chocolate syrup. And right. it's just like, <laughs> because it's not, it's not just. It's not, like, giving to each what, what is their due right. or, or what is, like, right and proper to each, like, relationship that's, that's there. Right. And then lastly, just this understanding of, like, well, that's a relationship, and, like, relationships actually require, like, mutual risk as well. Mm-hmm. It's not just one-sided. Like, that wouldn't be love, then. That wouldn't be a relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Scripture is clear. The church is clear. The catechism is clear that Jesus did pay the penalty for sin and death for all of humanity. We have been redeemed. Yeah. But 
that justified. Is, right. Yes, we have been justified. We there's a righteousness there in terms of the the imbalance of sin done towards the father has been rectified, so to speak. However, that doesn't necessarily imply that you are cooperating with that gift. It doesn't necessarily imply imply that you have unpacked the graces of that gift and are living in relationship with the Lord who did pay the penalty for your sin and death, for the debt of your sin and the weightiness of that against the Father. And he wants to actually divinize you and incorporate you into divine life. That is an invitation that still has to be welcomed. And so to just simply say, well, Jesus paid the penalty for sin and death for the whole world, and so therefore we're good. Yeah, that's comfortable. That's easy breezy street. Yeah. (laughs) But it actually doesn't imply that you're in union with the Lord. It doesn't imply a relationship. It doesn't imply that you're actually craving to live a life of virtue and actually letting grace uh, flood your mind and heart. Mm. There's so much more than just saying we're good. Yeah. You actually get to become like God. Huh. You know? (laughs) Yeah. And just that's helpful, uh, Father Shane. But I think just to end on justification to be made right right in god's eyes like we could that could be unpacked you know for like five more episodes of what that actually looks like and mm-hmm. what the church is kind of full understanding theology of that is but i think the thing that i've always found to be helpful is sometimes in certain you know christian circles we just kind of stop there at justification mm-hmm. no, I'm, I'm, I'm good I'm, mm-hmm. I'm i made good right but i think what the the history and life of the church through our our spiritual formation our understanding of prayer through the liturgy it's this whole idea of being glorified, mm-hmm. right? Theosis, right? Divinization, like becoming one with God. That happens. And like, that's where we're looking at. Like, that's the process of being saved. Like, it's a process of participating in divine life. It's a process of receiving the invitation, taking the risk, living this life in companionship with Christ who's given himself for us. That's so much more to be unpacked than just like, no, we're good. Everything's fine, mm-hmm. right? I think that's the question if we find ourselves with this kind of like wishy-washy universalism, just sort of like, no, no, it's it's all good. It's all Mm -hmm. good. Just kind of this tolerism. Where is that coming from? Mm -hmm. Why is there kind of like a a lack of risk of relationship? Because like that's not how we deal in any of other relationships. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, we're good, you know, in marriage, in friendship, in, you know, priesthood. That doesn't work. Yeah. If you just, no, we're fine. We're good. Yeah, and there's always a deeper stepping into, please. Well, what sparked this conversation is you were speaking to a young man who is engaged. Yeah. He's engaged to take a risk of love. He's engaged to lay down his life so that his spouse might thrive and flourish. And his spouse is going to make that same response to him. Well, that risk and that love and that self-sacrifice has to be replicated in a true life of faith. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the relationship that you have with God, you know, it's going to look pretty flimsy, you know. That's good. Father Shane, thanks for your just, um, you know, capacity to just like pull three really salient points just <laughs> well, from It's good your- to talk about this. <laughs> Let's pray for one another and anyone who's thinking about these same thoughts. God bless everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time and God bless.